0: Welcome to the Compliance Expert Radio Show, your source for the latest information on corporate governance, internal audit, stocks and risk management services, with in-depth interviews, discussions and insights from leading experts. Hosted by Sonia Luna, CEO and founder of Aviva Spectrum. This is the Compliance Expert Radio Show. And now, here is your host, Sonia Luna.
1: Hi, I am Sonia Luna, CEO and founder of Aviva Spectrum, an internal audit and compliance consulting firm headquartered in sunny Los Angeles, California. I'm also a speaker and writer on topics like COSO 2013, SOX 404, quality assessment reviews, and internal audit-related topics. Today's interview, which I'm very excited about, is with Lynn Trong. Lynn Trong has over 20 years of audit experience, and she's currently the Director of Internal Audit at Cosmos Energy. It's an oil and gas exploration and production company. Now, prior to joining Cosmos Energy, Lynn worked for Allon USA, Hunt Oil, Xerox, Credit Swiss Group, and KPMG. Her extensive audit career has provided her the opportunity to travel throughout the U.S., Canada, Europe, as well as parts of Africa and the Middle East. Lynn has launched internal audit departments, literally from ground zero, and established first-year SAS compliance programs, as well as spearheaded an enterprise risk management process for two very large companies. Welcome, Lynn.
0: Thank you so much. Hello. Um, Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, we were um,
1: connected through the GRC conference, and when I heard you speak, you know, at the GRC conference this year on the subject of ERM, I was floored. I was like, this is great. This is awesome content. Um, I loved your presentation. So just to share, okay, could you briefly share with our listeners what – do you believe to be the five attributes for an effective enterprise risk management process?
0: Sure, absolutely. So, you know, so many companies want to do ERM and do it right, and so many people get it wrong, and I've kind of boiled down the five key attributes for making it successful. And um, So it needs to be owned, secondly, relevant, third, measurable, um, fourth, you know, that it's monitored, and uh, finally, it e- evolves and adapts with the company. So starting with owned, you know, it really needs to be owned by senior management. I know a lot of enterprise risk assessments and, and um, ERMs start in the internal audit group because we need to know what the um, highest risks of the companies are so we can align the um, audit plan to it. And, and if the company currently doesn't have one, internal audit typically um, is the source or the function that starts that process. But eventually it needs to be transitioned and owned by senior management. And at the large companies, you know, there's actually a chief risk officer that um, that's all they do is manage the company's um, risks. So that's the first one. And then secondly, it needs to be relevant. So relevant in, um, in, in two ways. Um, the first way it needs to be relevant is, is obviously, you know, ERMs, um, or enterprise risk assessments are a, a snapshot in time. So that's your top risk at, at that time that you did it. So it really needs to be updated um, once a quarter, ideally, um, but I've seen you know, smaller companies do it annually. And then the second way it needs to be relevant is that it needs to be aligned with the company's corporate strategic objectives. So you know, if you list all the corporate uh, objectives for that year or five, or five years, then what are the risks that could derail achieving those objectives? And then you work um, on implementing the activities that will mitigate those risks so that you can facilitate reaching your corporate objectives. Um, and then you know it really needs to be measurable. So you can't manage what you don't measure. So you really need to establish you know, KPIs, metrics that you want everybody in the company to stay within. Um, So outside of these metrics, uh, you start to get into the risk area that exceeds what the board or management is is willing to accept. So a perfect example of that is um, HSES. So that risk, you know, a lot of companies have that risk as one of their top risks. And so the metric there that that typically uh, you measure against, or one of the metrics, would be, you know, how many injuries are acceptable to the company per year? You know, I mean, I know that sounds awful, but it's inevitable, um, you know, it's it's almost impossible to keep a perfect record. So, you know, how many injuries is is acceptable? And you try to stay within um, that metric. And if you exceed it, then, you know, there are consequences. You have to change your processes. You have to do something differently. So that's a, a perfect example of that, and then you know obviously once you measure something, you can now start to manage it or or monitor it. So um, there's management should be meeting on the the ERM risks um, once a quarter or at least annually to look at the progress, you know, see what where the challenges are, what's being done, what's not being done, are the things we're doing working? You know, I mean, is it effective? Are the metrics going down? Are the, the actual metrics staying within the target metrics. So um, you, you need to keep looking at it and, and having discussions at that senior management level. And then also you know, at the board level, hopefully um, the board is also interested in management um, processes around um, ERM. You know, so uh, it's not a quarterly thing maybe, um, but agenda item needs to show up uh, maybe once a year. Uh, on a rotating basis, and then finally, you know, it needs to be evolving and adaptable. So, it, is your company growing or is it shrinking? You know, is it getting into new countries? Um, is is your company getting into new service lines, getting more complex? And and so with that, how robust your ERM process is should kind of adapt to that. You know, either you need to simplify, um, or or you need to um, bring on more layers and, and better reporting, more robust reporting. So in a nutshell, in those those are the five key attributes for a successful ERN.
1: Right, and I, and I really appreciate kind of the, the simplicity of those five that, in the presentation that you gave and, and sharing with our listeners. And I really have seen both successful, you know, just to relate it to SOX 404, If management doesn't really own the process, they don't understand the measurement, they don't want to or at least revisit the process annually to say, hey, is this really relevant? Are we reviewing this every year at least to make it better? Um, I've I've just seen constant failures, you follow? Like you're you're setting yourself up for failure. Failure not so much, let's say, you're reporting a material weakness. No, you're going to pass, but the people working and doing it, it's just – it's, it's a drag. You know, yep. like they
0: come into work it's and they like. homework assignment on top of their day job, and it shouldn't be that. It should be a part of their day-to-day activities. Exactly, yeah. It it should be ingrained in the culture. It
1: really should be part of of the company's, you know, we're here to do business. We're here because of our customers and our mission statement, but what we do and how we do it is to be the best of breed or to to move forward in that process, whether it's for SOX 404, ERM, whatever it may be, and those people who take that attitude and have actions behind it, end up, I see, succeeding well beyond some of these other startups where the management just didn't even want to own it. I mean, that was just the first thing. I, that was a big red flag for me yeah. when I was um, just doing external audits when I was at
0: Ernst & Young. Implicit like, yeah, oh, no, in the words owned by senior management is executive support. Exactly. And without executive support for the ERM process, I don't care how good your – processes and methodology and tools are for doing ERM, it, it will fail if you don't have executive support. Yep, yeah, and I definitely remember that
1: was like one of the first things you talked about, um, and I think it really resonated with a lot of the, the folks, uh, not only at the conference, but with, it's going to resonate with our listeners here today. And I wanted to ask you again, you know, how do you integrate ERM, okay, with strategic goals of an organization and make it relevant to everyone, Okay.
0: So the trick is, um, you know, once you link up your ERM and identify the risks that are related to achieving your corporate strategic objectives, once you do that, the second step is hopefully, you know, the way the company does their individual goals and objectives are linked to the corporate strategic objectives. Why wouldn't they be, right? But hopefully they do link up. And if they do link up, if everybody within the company writes their individual goals and objectives based upon what the corporate strategic objectives are, regardless of your role or responsibility, you know, you have, um, to some extent, you, you play a role and you impact it somehow, how, however little or however greatly, um, then you compensate people, right, right? Uh, on achieving their individual goals and objectives. You you compensate senior executives on how well they achieve the corporate strategic goals and objectives. So everybody in the boat is rowing in the same direction, right? We're not struggling w- with com- competing resources. One person is rowing this way and the other person is rowing you know, the opposite way. And they're both rowing as fast and as hard as they can, and they're not getting anywhere. So everyone's aligned in the same direction, trying to achieve the same goals within their small world. Um, And so then if the ERM is also linked to the corporate strategic objectives, then people are basically, in achieving their individual goals and objectives, which are linked to the corporate level ones, they are mitigating risks um, because they are doing what is necessary to mitigate the risks that impede their ability to reach the corporate strategic objectives because they're doing it on an individual basis. Does that make sense? Oh absolutely,
1: and I love the way you you phrased the you know writing down right your
0: goals i
1: mean if you've read uh any type of self help book or you know um we as human beings when we write stuff down, it becomes more relevant, more tangible, more achievable, more measurable, and uh, more gratifying let's be let's face it you know when when they they don't feel like they're just an insignificant part of the company, they feel like, well, wait a minute. I'm part of this team that's trying to achieve a greater good, um, and their role is important, and, and they they do have a lot of value to provide to the organization, regardless as to the individual title that they have on a business card. So I really appreciate you kind of honing in on that writing piece of it because I'm a big fan of that as well. Yeah. Um, and,
0: and hopefully yeah. people aren't writing it down on the back of a napkin. You know, hopefully this is a <laughs> company-wide right, where they have a formal way of of establishing. And documenting uh, everyone's individual goals and objectives, and then um, at the end of the year, your performance is measured against how well you achieve that. You
1: know, right.
0: compensated, yeah.
1: Yeah, and, and and believe it or I mean, it sounds so just basic and, and you know somewhat intuitive to do that, but yet it, it's lacking in the marketplace. I know it is because we've asked um, some of our uh, when we when it gets to performance evaluations. We have to um, evaluate, well, how do we know people know, still know about the ethics programs you follow or the policies? Because, yeah, sure, the onboarding process, they're signing off on a bunch of things. They're acknowledging they know the employee manual. They're signing off that they know when, where everything is at in terms of the procedures to, if there's an ethical issue. To them. And we always tell our companies that we consult with, is that's a golden opportunity on your performance evaluation to align this process of compliance to a greater good and telling them about ethics as well. So we get kind of double bang for our buck when we try to audit, saying, you've, you know, if you just have this small area in the performance evaluation, it could even be a box, but as long as it's truly happening where the supervisor's informing them or asking them questions about their training that aligns to, let's say, their core role and responsibility and how that aligns to a written goal that they both agreed aligns to the corporate objectives, that. That, that's a, actually a morale boost.
0: And, yeah. you know, the unfortunate see is, where their piece of the puzzle fits into the big picture and that they do make an impact. You know, when they come to work every day, the things that they do, no matter how small it may seem, um, this is how it impacts the, the greater organization's ability to achieve its, its corporate objectives. Exactly,
1: exactly. No, I'm a big fan. I'm glad that you mentioned it for our listeners. And... I know you've been working in the field of internal audit and compliance for many years. So, you know, share with us. I mean, what what do you do to keep yourself abreast of the latest changes, you know, in the field?
0: Right. So other than attending conferences, you know, like the one where we met, um, I actually, about seven years ago, I established a peer group because I was new to the oil and gas well, the upstream um, oil and gas industry. And, and so in order to run up that learning curve as quickly as possible, you know, I'm sitting there thinking myself, well, I wonder what my my peer, you know, the CAE over at XYZ Company would do if, if he were doing this audit. And I thought, you know, instead of wondering, I'll just pick up the phone and and call, um, you know, the CAE of, of, of this and that company. And with that, um, I started with one company we met for lunch and, and shared, you know, best practices, intro our best practices. I had a list of questions. Um, it was like a two-hour lunch. And then from there, um, fast forward six, seven, eight years later, uh, I have over 20 energy companies on my roster and we meet uh, twice a year. Uh, you know, I, I host it sometimes. Uh, other companies will host it. And we all get together. We have an agenda. We get CPE credit and we you know, share our, our challenges and uh, share our thoughts and, and discussions on and how we address this problem or that issue. And it's been so valuable, and, and no one has turned me down. You know, I mean, I've cold-called some of these CAEs at, at companies, um, and no one has turned me down. I think it's hard to turn you down, Lynn, if we can yeah. be honest.
1: <laughs> <The> <laughs> you're, kind go, you're kind of a go-getter. <laughs> you've got a great personality, you know your stuff. Um, I, I think you're just a kind of a natural kind of born, well, I don't know. There's some debate if you're born a leader or not, but here's the point. How many people do I really know that would pick up the phone and go, I'm just going to start a peer group. I just got this new position <laughs> in a new industry. I know very little of, okay, in terms of my colleagues that would do that. They kind of wait. They really do. They're reactive. You were very proactive. So kudos to you. I'm, I'm, I'm happy that you did that. I actually, just to kind of share stories here, um, locally in L.A., um, there was talk on the board, um, I'm on the board of governors for, for the IA here in, in Los Angeles, and everybody kept talking about having a chief audit executive roundtable over and over and over again, and I'm in my second year, and I said, we've got to finally just do it, you know? It's not going to be a, a huge hit, let's say 50 people show up, right? But we got to start somewhere, right? So we formed a committee, and yes, I'm helping spearhead it, but I really believe in, in power of, of of groups, and so... Yeah. We're doing the cold calling thing. And guess what? Similar reaction that you got. I don't get hung up on. They're, yeah. they're, because why? I am very, very genuine to say, I think that there's problems that you may be facing and there's a peer group that you can talk to. And it's not even me. It's, these are other chief audit executives. Yes, they could be in different industries. But guess what? Um, they're going to come up with the same challenges in terms of selling why they need to have ACL or IDEA or a software package or selling to the board that they need more resources or you know so they're not alone and we have gotten a positive uh, set of feedback and now we're having our next one uh, coming up later this month and my point to this is people like that bonding experience in terms of sharing those challenges and then, you know, obviously complementing those great opportunities that they've
0: achieved
1: in those meetings. So kudos to you, Lynn. That, that, that I have to tip my hat off to you on that. I had no idea that you had done that.
0: Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, human nature, you know, we, um, with few exceptions, you know, we, we like to share, right? Like you said, the bonding experience. And uh, not no one individual knows everything about everything, and you know no one internal audit department is going to have infinite resources um, at the tips of their fingers. So, what better way to increase your knowledge um, and, and sh- share your knowledge, and and you know everyone gets something out of it. Um, and it's free, you know what I mean? I mean, the, one of the questions that people will ask me when I ask them to join the peer group is, how much money does it cost a year? And I say, absolutely nothing, you know, just just your time. And when we meet, then, you know, if, if you're not living in Dallas, you know, then a plane ticket. But um, so, you know, but, but a great way to start the peer group, too, I mean, for other people who, who want to start doing this in their industry is if you – partner with a consulting firm, like one of the big four, you know, um, a, a consulting firm that has a lot of thought leadership and, and a lot of information in, in their data banks and access to, to a lot of different clients in your industry, that's a great way to start it is to reach out to them and get some white papers from them, you know, have them send um, benchmarking information uh, across the board within your industry without using any names or faces. And then they're going to have those relationships, right? Like, do you know the CIE of XYZ company? Well, oh yes, we, okay, can you, you know, do a warm introduction? I want to start this group, and this is one of the companies I want to reach out to. So that's a great way to to uh, get leading-edge information as well is partnering up with a consulting firm.
1: Yeah, no, thank you for sharing that. And, and, and I do think it's a best practice we've implemented as well, Um Partnering up with a, a larger firm, they do have a ton of. Re- I mean, geez, they they even sell their databases. Let's be frank, okay? To their yeah, clients. yeah. So, I don't I don't think there's a lack of white papers that they have. And you're right. I you know why reinvent the wheel if you're struggling for a topic to have a discussion for the group or share ideas or you know, um, trying to make that you know it 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 make that degree of connection even closer by saying, hey, do you happen to know these people? We would love to get them as part of the group. And it behooves them because they're actually trying to develop that other person as well, and and it's just human nature. Like if I try to help you to achieve your goals, there's a a stronger memory retention of who I am in your mind, you follow? Um, Yeah. Versus just a single transaction or a single set of services, and then I'm gone at the end of the year, and oh, by the way, I'm back again to do your tax return, that sort of thing. Um, Yeah. So, so it, it, I, the big four or the larger firms I should say, I think they get it. I think the culture is there and they, they definitely support that. Um, I wanted to move on about your speaking engagements because I love the way you speak. Um, you've done a number of speaking engagements and you have graciously shared your knowledge pro bono. So tell us, what inspires you to, to do this training?
0: Well, you know, uh, this is an individual personality of mine, but I, I, I love speaking. I didn't realize um, how much I liked it till I started, and I'm, I'm, I'm gonna end up having five speaking engagements just in this year alone. And aside from it being enjoyable to me, but um, every time I speak, you know, I have people, um, at least 10 people line up and, and wanna, you know, exchange business cards and, and want to connect with me. And every one of those connections will um, – maybe maybe not every one of them will follow up, but, you know, maybe even if 50% of the people who get my contact information uh, will start – will contact me, and it will start a conversation. It will start a discussion where we both benefit somehow. You know, I, I learned something new I didn't know before by talking to that person. They learned something. It opens um, additional doors. It opens additional speaking engagements. Um, so – yeah, I mean, you you never know what you're going to learn and what nugget you're going to get from every connection that you make, regardless of whether they're in the same industry or even in the same, you know, discipline that you, you are. Um, so it just enriches um, me both professionally and personally. Um, and and finally, you know, and this is the least important reason, but it, it's, it's great on your LinkedIn profile and on your resume as well. Uh, it, it gives you that much more... Um, marketability and and to kind of set yourself apart from the crowd, um, if if you should be looking for another opportunity. So um, it was a no brainer for me. You know what I mean? Um, and I I just enjoy all the connections I make uh, and and all the people that I meet through, through doing this. No, oh, I love it. I mean, it's uh you
1: when when we met, I was like, this is a relationship person. You know, you're not a transaction person. You're yeah. connect you're kind of like the connector. Let's you know. Um it, there's more of a warm warmness to you uh for anybody who's who's gotten to know you. And 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 that I found to be very inspirational and and I really do appreciate you doing this for our profession. If if no one's ever said that to you, I think that's great. I think it's we need more people to talk about our profession like this and to do things like this because, you know, I I do see some of the students I've uh, volunteered on a panel where they're kind of confused about, like, what is it that you guys do again? You know, (laughs) like, like, well, why why do you still do it, you know? And you're like, well, it's actually a cool job. Like, this is, you know, but, of course, that's my perspective. Um, But if we don't do these outreach or we don't volunteer, um, you know, you just don't, receive that other human connection, which to me is more valuable than how much money I'm going to make out of this whole deal, <laughs> because nice. I'm not going to make a money off of the students. It's, it's more of, you know, I feel good about what I do every day. Um, you know, it, it's, I hope you guys see how I see this profession, you follow, and yeah. let me share some of my stories because I didn't want to even get into it to begin with. So, long story short, you know, it, it, it's just wonderful that you're um, so welcoming to the idea to share your knowledge because I know it's out there where people do want to hear from a subject matter expert such as yourself, some of your thoughts, some of some of the challenges, and kind of what you've learned, and you know, putting it on this radio show I think helps a lot of people. Um, that you and I probably will never really meet face to face, but who knows? You never know. Like you said, down the road, someone's like, "I heard your radio show." You know?
0: <laughs> yeah, I really yeah. love
1: the top five list.
0: Yeah, so yeah, I mean, I, I think you know, regardless of what job you're in and what industry. Um, I know it's it's overly used, but relationship skills are so important. I mean, even if you're a transactional-focused kind of person, like I need to get XYZ done today, you know, I need to do 100 um, JEs or whatever, whatever job you do, having strong, positive, good relationships with the people that you work with and people that you need information from will get that job done much faster. You know, they they won't put you at the bottom of their priority list if you – you know, had lunch with them the other day for no other reason other than um, to catch up on, you know, family or or, or uh, shoot the breeze. So uh, I think people underestimate um, that kind of relationship part of our job, especially in in the internal audit role, right? Because we have kind of got a bad mark uh, on us just just from our roles. Um, you know, we're we're viewed as the police um, or, or cops, and and so it's even. More important to have that relationship um, building skill so that you can get people to um, view you in a different way than than just uh, people who are police the police department of of the company right, yeah, they need to know
1: that there's a real human being and that it's, it, you know we 're not here try to trying to just ding every single deficiency we 're here to actually help and add value That's- and and, you know, by the way, we're a human being, too, so we've
0: got yeah, feelings. Yeah, we can talk about each other's families and, and yes. bring it down to, a, a, you know, that level instead of just I'm here to see what you did wrong. Right. Oh, yeah. Well, I know our listeners received
1: just a wealth of information during this interview. Thank you again, Lynn, for being on our show and providing us your GRC insights. Thank you, Lynn. It was my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Well, this is Sonia Luna, CEO and founder of Aviva Spectrum, signing off.